Hello and welcome to the TLGP podcast. My name's Colin and today I'm joined by Julian Helen, who work as part of the curriculum team on the Steps to Summit project. We're going to discuss uh, why Julian Helen decided to leave education and come and work for the Steps to Summit project, their background in school and what they see as the most important elements of the Steps to Summit journey. So let's let's start because I know you're a little bit nervous. Let's just start by a bit of a background into you as people and what uh, what you've done in the past, your teaching career. So how long were you guys teaching for? Um, I was teaching for about twelve years, um, predominantly at one school, um, and I started doing my teaching practice there and kind of just ended up staying at that at that school, which I actually loved to bits. Um, what year groups did you teach? I taught year three and four mainly, did right. a little bit with year two, but then on my third, when I was going for my third maternity before that, I did lots of management cover, so I did kind of flip from year okay. one right up to year six. Yeah, I've been teaching for, I taught for about 16 years and worked at a couple of different schools, eventually coming to work with Julie as my work wife, job share partner. Um, I've taught a range of different age groups and done some supply teaching as well when my children were little and done things like exam marking and stuff for SATs and things like that and then um, was subject leader for maths and um, then left after being full-time and being subject leader. Well, how did you two end up job sharing? How did that come about? Was it like you coming back from maternity? Or? Yeah. Uh, um, well, actually, I think I came back from maternity and that was four days a week. Um, but that was just too much. So I asked if I could go down part time. And then I'd ended up working at the same school, being employed to be a one to one tutor for um, children who were struggling with maths. So I was doing that and then got approached to say that somebody needed a job share partner and that they thought we would work well together. So the rest is history. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so then w when you left, did you both leave at exactly the same time? No, I left. Julie abandoned me. Yeah, I <laughs> my third child. And Helen, they, they kind of messed about, didn't they, trying to find someone to job share with I you and you time. just said, I'll do, I'll do the job, I'll I go I took one to the team and went full time. And then thought, what have I done? <laughs> um, were, you, were you ever going to go back after your... I wasn't sure. No. I wasn't sure. I didn't know how I was going Did to Did you be. tell her you were going to come back? Was she waiting for you? I don't know. No. I don't think we it ever had that discussion, did we? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. And by the time Julie would have come back, I'd made the decision. I made the decision quite early on in the academic year that I was going to leave teaching. But I stuck it. I stayed to see my class through to the summer. So what, what brought that decision then? Why did you...? It's complicated when people ask you that because there's not just one answer really. Um, for me, the thing that tipped it really was workload right. and family life. My mum and dad um, both got diagnosed with cancer within sort of two weeks of each other in that year and that made me reassess my priorities and 
kind of how I wanted to be living my life and it got to the point where I was just stressed all the time and I was at work all the time and things like putting my children to bed as quickly as I could, rushing bedtime story because I knew that I had a load of work to do for the next day and I had 30 writing books to mark. Um, my husband's a teacher as well, so I think that God. sometimes makes it difficult <laughs> because you both rush in the kids' bed because you've both still got another day's work to do before you can go to bed. Yeah. Um, and I got to the point where I didn't enjoy it in the same way that I had when I first started. And I feel like the job had become very different. I'd started in the year 2000, and by the time it got to 2016, uh, you know, things like... Uh, the amount of stuff that was driven by data yeah. and the expectations of children academically were so much harder than they had been and I just didn't love it anymore and I so I decided to take a year out to decide what I wanted to do. And after that year... <laughs> <laughs> so During which, well, I did everything I could to escape having anything to do, because I thought, no, I don't like it anymore, I'm turning my back on it, I can't do it. And I left feeling a little bit like I'd failed, because I hadn't been able to make it work. And, you know, there was all these years of training, and it had been my life, and then to leave and realise, gosh, what am I going to do now? Um, so I tried lots of different things, I started sewing handbags i went and did a day in my dad's workshop thinking i might be a violin maker <laughs> um anything and then julie rang me <laughs> yeah we'll come and uh, yeah we'll come on to, we'll that, come on to that yeah it's all your fault julie yeah so what what was yours then why did you why did you decide not to the third child probably just Tip the balance. Sadie gets blamed for everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just made me realise that actually I cannot sustain that amount of workload and have three children and run around after them with all their different clubs all the time. And I didn't want to go back to having to be the nagging mum at night, going, "Come on, you've got to go to bed. I've got to do this marking. I've got to do that." And I suppose having three maternities kind of made me realise that actually I, want, I just want a nice steady life where I can really enjoy my children mm. while they're young and not be stressed and worrying on a Sunday that yes. I've got to stay in for the whole day to get my planning done yeah. um, and you know luckily financially it was okay to, to give it up and I know not everybody's in that same position um, but it, you know still my heart was in it I would you know yeah. I still love it I just think that once you've got a family teaching ultimately is quite a challenging job to even though it's only nine till three and you get oh, all yeah. the holidays <laughs> it's the ideal job for if you've got small children surely but didn't you like didn't you go and do another job before you taught so didn't you yes yeah, so i worked in recruitment which is again that's quite a tough gig isn't it i mean that's well it's fine isn't it when you're not actually you, you know it's not it's the workload after school isn't it and i think as well as it when i started teaching i gave everything to mm. it i would work all hours god send I loved because it, loved I lived, it. I breathed it, and I would, you know, do ridiculous things that didn't need to be doing, done. I can remember my deputy head saying to me at the time, why are you typing up all your Star of the Week notes? You know, but that's because I just loved it, and I would do anything for the children in my class. But then I was finding that actually, I'm doing far more for other people's children yeah. than I am my own. And, you know, I'm stressing out trying to do their homework with them, and yeah, I'm thinking probably more about planning lessons for other people's children. Yeah. So. Yeah. It, you know, it, it wasn't really balancing out. 
And a little known fact is that our teaching career actually started at the same time, didn't it? Yeah. Because we did our work experience together. We did. At 16. <laughs> and the world goes full circle. <laughs> we won't say how many years later, but quite a few. In a school that now doesn't exist, which is coincidence rather than anything to do with us. Well, it is a school, isn't it? But yeah, ah, I, did, a, I did some supply at that school. They don't, they don't allow you to watch telly, I think, is the rumour I heard, but I don't know whether... I have, I have more information on that, yeah. Do you? Right, we'll wait till we, <laughs> we'll we press stop. Um, what, do you, what, do you, what do you miss most about being in school? There must be some stuff you miss. I, I got to the point, having had my... People call it a midlife crisis, don't they, if it's not <laughs> retirement. So having had my year out, I did start to hanker after some of the stuff from school and I started doing some tutoring privately and loved it because actually I'd missed, work, I'd missed working with children. Yeah. You know, that was always the thing that drove me. I wanted to help children to learn stuff or understand things that they didn't get before. That was always the point of it for me and to make a difference to, you know, to somebody. Um, so I sort of get my little fix of that now by tutoring. Um, I missed like the camaraderie we had a really lovely team yeah, didn't we when we worked yeah. together and there's times when you miss that side of things I think as well mm. being a team and pulling together but um for me I think I miss all of the sport side of it you know the organizing of you know being the P I was the P lead um and organizing all of you know the team events and all of that kind of thing um and yeah obviously ultimately the children the buzz that you get when you work from them yeah. and they, you know when you see that little spark that the, the pennies dropped and they can do something and the funny things yeah the funny things that go with that but just not the stress and the data no <laughs> but there'll be there'll be loads of people who would listen to this and just feel exactly the same yeah. i don't think it's the more people you speak to and when i look back so when I first started teaching at the school I worked at in, when I was newly qualified, um, I still see some of the people I used to work with and most of them are not teachers anymore. Yeah. Have either retired early because they've had enough or um, have gone on to do something different. And it's really sad because because they were all great teachers. Mm. I think that's the thing. And I it still makes me a little bit sad that I didn't stay in the job in some ways because it was all I'd ever wanted to do. It's all I ever trained to do. I didn't do anything before that. I went straight from my degree into being a teacher. Um, but ultimately, you know, your life's more important. Yeah. <laughs> so then, I don't know, two years ago maybe, you got a, an email or a message or whatever it was to say, right, this little project's happening. I knew you weren't working. Yeah. Got me a weak moment. Got, yeah, got you when you were down and vulnerable. Uh, yeah, uh, screaming baby. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah so I uh, I kind of said to you, right, we, we've got this little... You knew what we did anyway. Yeah. So obviously we worked in schools together and things like that. So then we had this little project, Steps to Summit, that we needed some teacher involvement in. We needed some people to come and make it... Um, more than just a physical project I think that was the thing so there was always the idea that we wanted to get kids more active you know kind of before actually the the 50-50 and the government kind of incentive we wanted to get people more active the daily mile was obviously the big way of doing that but experience tells you that sometimes that gets a little bit boring gets a little bit repetitive so we had this idea of a, a project and steps to something was born but it needed to become more alive in schools and you got the message and what kind of happened from there um. I had a lovely text message yes. after you, didn't I? Oh, yeah. 
obviously he said, oh, have you got any time on your hands? Um, Knowing that you have. Chat <laughs> with me. And um, yeah, so and I instantly rang Helen because I miss working with Helen because <laughs> she's my work wife. And um, so yeah, so I was straight away, Helen, I think, I, I think we might have a little project we could start working on. Um, I think you told me that we needed to plan a couple of lessons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I, may have, I may have under-egged it at the start. Yes, and then, yeah, and we go probably 200 lessons later. I don't know. Yes. Yes. So what, what appealed to you both when it, when it first... I mean, obviously, uh, you know, obviously there was the, well, it's a bit of money, it's a bit of something to do, it's, you know, it's a break from just being mums, and, but what actually appealed to you about this particular... I think um, because your remit was that you know you wanted nice cross-curricular lessons that would inspire young children to maybe want to be mountaineers and I don't know it's just something that we've always believed in I mean Mm. my kind of background when I started teaching was all about you know making everything cross-curricular and fun and exciting and And that's sports side and the sports side for me yeah so it kind of all seemed to you know tick so many boxes that we believed in Um, and I knew I think as well, I knew that we work really well together. So I, I knew whatever, you know, Julie and I were doing together would be fine. It wasn't yeah. like going into something by myself. Um, and the research aspect really appealed to me and doing mm. something a bit different yeah. and using a bit of my brain that I maybe hadn't used for a mm-hmm. while and kind of feeling like we had we had something to offer, like we had a bit of... Well, I think when, expert, we, when we were, that's probably overegging it. But you know, well, you are now. Yeah. Now, yes. When we come to our 20 Crest and Mountain <laughs> yeah. later. But when we worked together, this is how we would plan, yeah. wouldn't we? We, you know, we spent a couple of years trying to plan very cross curricular to try and make all of our lessons fun as much as it was based upon maths and English because we got to the point where actually that was kind of all seemed to ever ever matter yeah. in the end. But we would still really try and think- make. Fun, yeah, I think as well because when you and I initially started working together, the new curriculum had come in in 2013 mm. and there were no resources, mm. so they'd said, Here's the new curriculum, and so we would get our sheet of A3 paper out and our pencils, <laughs> like the one we and have in like front of us now, because yeah. that's just how we roll. Um, and we would sit, and I loved that part of it, and thinking, Right, what do we need them to be able to do by the end of this, and that, right, how are we going to make it fun? And Julie had always was very good at being creative because you had to have that background at the school you'd worked at and mm-hmm. would come up with some crazy, crazy, crazy idea. <laughs> I think for me, I remember about the first time we sat together and I kind of, I, I'm quite good at coming up with things and then people looking at me a bit gone out, you know, like, <laughs> what? You know, you really want to do that? And some of the things we've done in the past have been a bit unconventional but end up working quite well. And I think I just remember walking out of our meeting and thinking, yeah, they kind of get it. They kind of, they were, it wasn't, you didn't look at me as if, yeah. And that was quite endearing. Because it was like, wow, this is, this is going to work. Because you didn't, you didn't kind of go, well, that won't work. Mm. You didn't go, mm, I can't, you know. Sometimes we have the issue where we go into schools and because it's different and it's new, you, you instantly get the, the block up, yeah. You know, like, oh, we can't do that because. Mm-hmm. Whereas you two were kind of like, yeah, we could, that would work. And mm. if you get it right, it would really be positive. And I think I, walk, I certainly walked out thinking, yeah, you know, this this will be quite good. Yeah. And then, as you said, maybe it started as two lessons or <laughs> a few lessons. And... A lesson about Mount Everest. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think the biggest organic change was when we when we moved into kind of the summer tier skill thing. Yeah. So this, uh, for the, for anyone not familiar with the Steps to Summit project, it's the summer tier... Well, do you want to do it or should I do it? You do it. You, you made them. Uh, what is yes. What are summer tier skills? What, so, what's... 
the more we planned the lessons, we kept coming back and having meetings with you, and you'd come up with some more ideas, <laughs> and we'd go, okay, we can make that work. Good ideas. Um, <laughs> yeah. And we talked, even from the initial meeting, when you first were explaining to us about the Steps to Summit project, we all were talking about some of the skills. Character skills. Yeah. yeah. And I know Julie and I had had particular classes and particular children where, you know, who really struggled with things like perseverance, where you'd give them a, a, a I don't know, a, a maths challenge, for example, that involved trial and error, and they would just cry because mm. they couldn't do it straight away. And so we'd already had a lot of experience with changing the mindset of children who struggled kind of with with failure, I suppose, and yeah. turning it into something positive and looking at how we learn from things like that. Mm-hmm. And um, I know that you were talking, Colin, when we looked at um, resilience and perseverance in children, and then the DFE document came out about character traits. Yeah. And Julie and I said, hang on a minute, this is what we were doing in the classroom when we had that class and... Well, I remember such and such and they really struggled with this and then we managed to get them to turn it around and think differently about it mm-hmm. and the school that we'd worked at we're doing a lot of work on growth mindset and metacognition and things like that so it was something that we'd already been doing mm-hmm. really but Julie I know you said you get given these things to do and we'd go yeah we really want all our class to be you know good at persevering with something and not giving up at the first thing but the, the where's the resources? Yeah, it's just words. How do you put it into? And we would probably just sling a, I don't know, a skill up on the board and go right. We're all going to persevere this week, and we're looking for some children who are going to be really good at that skill. But we yeah. never really fostered how to teach those skills because we mm. weren't sure where. We, you know, you just couldn't put your hands on the resources really easily. No. And we would, you know, we would work hard to think of activities, wouldn't we? But yes. or keep yeah. just kind of talking about yeah, it a lot of it was in, in the environment that you have in your classroom as well and the language that you use with children as well mm. so then these skills didn't they they kind of grew from well and we it was funny because we thought about the children that were taught in the past but we also thought about our own personal children <laughs> some things they struggle with yeah. um and that inspired we also looked at the character traits from the dfe and thought about our conversation with you as well and that helped us to come up with the skills but we wanted to really embed them as part of the steps to summit challenge so yeah i think we thought of a way of making it integral to the project and having this these sort of things in your rucksack we said Mm. didn't we yeah yeah these skills that you can draw on when things are tricky sometimes i remember us having a very clear conversation about they can't be forced in no you can't you can't make it if it doesn't work then it doesn't, it doesn't work. work. Yeah. Don't mm-hmm. don't just add them and tag it onto the project. If, if it's not going to run through it and become part of the DNA of it, then it's it's mm-hmm. a pointless exercise. And I think when you when you came back with the the rucksack idea and the things you need to take with you in life, and I, I think the stories tend to lend themselves to that kind of thought process, don't they? You know, oh, gosh, some of the stuff massively. you've used. Yeah, the stories are unbelievably powerful to each and every one of these different skills. And and I feel like you know when you've got something, when you know it just works. We've always said that, haven't we? If you're trying to shoehorn something mm. in and it doesn't ring true, it doesn't work. And so we looked at the character traits and we gave them like little titles, didn't we? So you've got honest explorers and kind-hearted crusaders and you know curious climbers, all skills that we had decided between the three of us yeah were important mm-hmm. and that mattered and that children need in life 
Um, and then when Julie and I came to planning some lessons for them, it, it, it just grew by itself, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. It was almost like it took itself in that direction. And we said, actually, we've got our cross-curricular lessons, but actually maybe we need a lesson that explicitly teaches children how to practice these skills in well, in sort of real life, mm-hmm. with real life being the aim, really, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, so which was what was always missing when I think yes. when we were teachers. Yeah. So wasn't. so how do you get to that then? How do you go from we want to make a meticulous mountaineer story relevant to year four? How does that process start? Possibly around this kitchen table. <laughs> yeah. Well, Julie and I always laugh because we always say, oh, I'm not sure how this is going to work and being meticulous. And so we have a big conversation to start with about what that means. Mm-hmm. And is it a good thing to be meticulous? And can you be too meticulous? And why would mountaineers be, need to be meticulous? Um, and then we would say, oh, let's go back to the mountains. <laughs> Maybe find <laughs> some good stories. <laughs> and so if we're doing, for example, um, year three, which is Kilimanjaro, we'll say, right, okay, let's research all the inspiring stories around Kilimanjaro and the people that have climbed it. And then the we just story often, disappears. Yeah, we just always seem to... You know when you've got it, you, you go, right, yeah, that that's it. And then we think of... The activity. the activity. Sometimes we spin it on its head. We think yeah. of the activity first, don't we? And then yeah. we'll, we'll find the story. But um, And some of them are easier to do than others, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> some of them are... Uh, I think with the, we struggled a little bit when we were talking about proud pathfinders. Because what does what is pride? And that's what we did in one of our blogs, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Talking about how complicated that was to do because it depends how you interpret it. Yeah. Um, and then finding material on some mountains is trickier than others. Yeah. So So what's your favourite mountain? Oh, that's like choosing a favourite mm-hmm. child. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, it makes me laugh. Which one Julie gives you the more? I, which one gives you the more content? We don't. Well, um, Julie and I always sit here and go, "Which one would you climb? If you had to climb one, which one would you climb?" And we always said, "Oh, I think Fuji. Fuji. Julie would only climb Blossom. Julie would only climb one with a five-star hotel yeah, at the top well, of it. Yeah, well, Fuji's got lots of nice stopping points. Yeah, but then we have to take a bear stick with bells on it with you, which Yeah, so it'd be Fuji for me. Yeah, I, well, I quite like some of the ones that I didn't know anything about. So when you um, told us the names of the seven summits, I hadn't heard. I like Aconcagua because it's got the highest art gallery in the world on it. <laughs> and I quite like the idea of going and buying a painting on your way down. <laughs> and what's your, what's your favourite summiteer story that you've stumbled across? Or? Go on, Julie, you can go first. Oh. Make sure you get the name yeah, right. Don't, don't yeah. call her Avril, <laughs> Yeah, so I, I we stumbled across a lady called Alison. You nearly did it again. Alison Levine, who climbed Everest, but she attempted it many times um, and failed at getting it. You know, it's not reaching the right the world summit. reaching the summit. Um, but she talked, you know, really openly and honestly about she went to a dinner party and how she was chatting to some guy and she said, "Oh, I've climbed Everest," and he said, "Oh, well, did you get to the top?" And she said. Oh no, I didn't. I was, I don't know how many metres away from it, but, well, you've not climbed it then. And it just kind of made you think that actually, yeah. even to get halfway up some of these mountains, it you've made a massive achievement, especially something like Everest. She was really um, inspiring. But she was determined well, and she, she did do it eventually. But yeah, she was, she was a really, really inspiring lady. 
Um, she'd done a TED talk and we sat and watched that and both of us felt, gosh, you know, it almost made me want to climb Mount Everest. Almost. Yeah. <laughs> I read something the other day that is similar to that and it was somebody saying that, you know, too many people focus on the on the destination rather than mm. the journey. Mm. We've you know? done some stuff think, on that, yeah. Yeah, I think I, I, even I got into the blogging habit last week and did something about it because, and that's pretty much what you're saying. Yes. Unless you reach the top, you haven't even done it, mm. which is... But there's a saying, I can't remember the saying, uh, the mountaineers say, the summit is for the ego, the journey is... For the, the soul. For the soul or something yeah. like mm. that. Yeah, which is, rings true. I think I, think I found... The thing I've found most interesting and inspiring, I suppose, when we've been doing the summiteer lessons is the kinds of stories you come across just generally about people who have decided to climb a mountain. And a lot of the time it's, you know, from adversity. And um, there's one story, I can't remember if that was Everest again, with the lady who uh, lost her leg, had to have her, her legs amputated in an accident mm. and then thought, right, what's the hardest thing I can do to prove that I can still do stuff? And she decided to climb a mountain. Um, and it's those sorts of stories um, where, you know, people have climbed for a particular purpose, maybe, or mm-hmm. um, who have crawled to people, the top yeah. um, because they've gone up in a wheelchair and the wheelchair wouldn't get the last part of the journey, so they've literally got out and crawled to the top of the mountain. And some people that push to pee up with their nose, I remember you telling me. A Brussels yeah. sprout. Oh, a Brussels sprout, sorry. <laughs> well, and then there's the hot tub. The attention's in detail, though. <laughs> the what? Hot tub on Mont Blanc. They oh. went and had a hot tub party. This is more Julie's kind of thing. Yeah, you'd have loved that. <laughs> hot tub party. There's a hot tub at the top. I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> so you obviously like know everything there is to know about mountains now pretty much obviously yeah. obviously <laughs> like what what kind of skills do you think this whole project teaches best because i think there's a bit of confusion as well that we're trying to get people to go out and climb real mountains which <laughs> would be assessment. yeah it's not it's not the best school trip if you but you know whilst there is undoubtedly a a health benefit to being outside and going and climbing hills and you know it's a it's quite a well-known fact that a lot of people who suffer with mental health go and climb mountains because that fresh air that freedom yeah. that exhilaration helps that's not really what we're trying to get out of this what what's the main message if you're kind of pushing this into schools and you're you're trying to get schools to follow it that you want them to understand from the project I, th- I think a big part of it is how inclusive it is mm. um because uh, everybody can take part in it and I know that they see their flags going up the mountain, but I think it's the fact that you're not really competing. You're trying to do something for yourself. Mm. And, you know, it's those skills again, isn't it? Persevering and, um, you know, trying to really go for something that's maybe a bit out of your comfort zone. But everybody... It's can take part in it, yeah. and it's it's not specifically competitive in that way. It's unless you're Julie. <laughs> when we yeah. climbed our virtual Kilimanjaro, really you were you were competitive. Yeah, she was. She'd come round in the morning. Like, what did you do yesterday? Have you done seventeen thousand steps? What were you doing? <laughs> well, I've Cheat. got to run there. <laughs> but I can see for how some children that would really inspire them and want to get out and get active. And you know, for me, that's the beauty of this project and you know it's it's getting them off their bottoms and you know wanting to be up and moving and that's what we need isn't it yeah. but, so. I, but I think what you're saying about you the difference between you and I because you're quite a sporty <laughs> person anyway and I'm not particularly but I could still you know take part in it and it, yeah. I was surprised at how competitive it made me <laughs> when I didn't think 
I would be. I didn't I think I'd have that in me to want to get to the top, but it, it's quite addictive. And how, from a from a teaching perspective, you know, how would you suggest to teachers because they would get a lot of stuff like this thrown at them to say, you know, let's try this now, let's try that. Mm-hmm. You know, what what's the benefit of this, and how do they embed it into their school life without that horrible thing of just more work? I think that's from our starting point, wasn't it? That we didn't want this to be any burden on any teacher and them thinking, oh gosh, I've, you know, how am I going to fit this into my school day? Because actually, just it, it just naturally just sinks in. You could just do a 20 minute session if you wanted, an academic lesson session, um, or you can pick from some of the longer lessons, but you don't have to. Um, and also some of the walking side of it, we've tried to plan into some of the the lessons haven't we so that it's not necessarily oh we've got to give up a whole hour of our Friday afternoon no we know that we know that time is a a definite constraint um but you know you can kind of just kind of pick and choose what elements of the project you want to do whether you want to just do the walk inside whether you want to combine the summiteer skills and the walking for your PSE type lessons um and you know it, it ticks all of the boxes for all of your curriculum. I think one of the things we made a big fan of lists. We made a little list at the start about what we really wanted to make sure we got from the project. And the first thing was that it, it had to be worth it. We've mm-hmm. had so many things over the years thrown at you. Where you go, why am I? You know, this, yeah. it's not worth it. Mm-hmm. So it had to be something. The measure was, would we teach this? And if the answer was yes, then it got through type of thing. And Mm -hmm. the other thing that we said was that it had to be as easy for teachers and anybody else in school as possible. So Mm. it's not onerous. Every lesson plan we've written fits on one side of A4. Every resource that you need is there. Even if you need the children to bring something in, we've already written the letter to parents asking for whatever it is to be brought in. And like Julie says, the whole thing was planned around it being flexible. We know there's no time in school. We know that year six, in particular, mm-hmm. at certain times of the year, are you know full on into sats. We've been there and done that. And so the idea was for teachers to be able to use it. Or TAs. We yeah. Said the idea was by teachers. Teachers yeah. to be able to pick it up and run with it. And with the little system we've got with the red, amber, and green. Yeah. lights it tells you in advance you know if if this lesson's a green it means that you know if you've got five minutes at lunchtime you can just press go on the powerpoint and it'll run through it for you so we really thought about teachers when we were planning the lessons mm-hmm. as well as the children i think it's really important that from a school point of view that the whole thing is embedded in i think certainly from going around and seeing it in action when you when you take parts of it it starts to perhaps lose a little bit of momentum. Mm-hmm. You know, so mm-hmm. if you have some classes that do it, some classes that don't, yes. if you just focus on the walking side of it, mm-hmm. if you don't perhaps do the whole school assemblies, if you haven't got the displays up, you know, those things are the things that make it become less awe-inspiring mm-hmm. in the school. Yeah. Well, I that's why we planned as well those six assemblies to try yes. and keep the buzz alive, to keep the, you know... Keep, keep the momentum, taking, yeah, the momentum yeah, mm. and keep kind of revisiting the mountain and looking at how each class are getting on. and um, So that was really crucial for us, wasn't it? Yeah, again, because we've had projects where you've started in September and by like November no one's doing it anymore. Mm. So we thought with the assemblies and the whole school display um, that goes up in a communal area, um, 
we thought that by having those each time, and also they focus on some of the summiteer skills as well. So, you know, that's where um, Alison Zine pops up, isn't it, mm-hmm. in one of the assemblies about um, how to learn from failure. So the idea behind those was that you keep it ticking along as a whole school yeah. project. Mm-hmm. And we've tried to make it relevant to all kinds of schools as well, because I know sort of some of the issues with the physical activity is space. So you have a lot of schools where space is limited, you know, it might be a really small playground. So we've looked at options to try and allow that to be done with our super training videos, (laughs) (laughs) which we won't talk about today. Um, But Julie, as a PE lead, you must have had like loads of sort of incentives and things thrown at you over the years. And, Mm -hmm. you know, what what makes this different, really? Um, I think it just works. Everything works so well, hand in hand together. You know, the, the walking side of the lessons, it just kind of all fits and it's everything that, I believe in as a teacher the lessons are really diverse um, you know they're all very it's all very inclusive um, nothing is forced you know everything is it, it just kind of all fits together perfectly and I think that's why we are so fond of the project isn't it because mm. it's just everything ticks every single box as a teacher you want to have ticked and believe in and want to teach your children yeah um, that's true. so you know and I think, you know, for a teacher, it's it's easy to teach as well. It's And it's good fun. It's nice. They're lovely, lovely lessons to teach. Um, don't you want to add anything, Helen? <laughs> I think the main <laughs> thing was, was that it, the way, like you say, that it all fits together. Um, so you've got the physical health, haven't you, which mm-hmm. is through your walking, but then... We've done lots of mindfulness, men- yeah, haven't we, looking at mental them. health yeah. um, activities. Um, and we've got the social health element of sort of the learning about the the other place in the world yeah, the, the yeah. looking at the children that we sponsor through the program yeah, looking at the lessons about that and the, the cultural way. side of it yeah. as well yeah. we've explored a lot of the cultures where the mountains are particularly with um that's in one of the lessons about being a fearless adventurer it's all about trying new things from that country looking at the food that people eat looking at the music Dance. yeah um, all sorts of things so hold on so we've got a new approach to food education that doesn't involve <laughs> The healthy living plate. You know, we did really laugh because that plate did... I can't remember what we were doing there, Julie. That the plate appeared and we went... Are you, even, are you even a real teacher if you haven't had a healthy living plate in your classroom? There are paper plates involved somewhere, I think. <laughs> so, lastly, what, what advice would each of you give to anyone listening to this who's kind of thinking, right, that all sounds great, you know, um, maybe I'll sort of look at getting it for our school. What advice would you give them? I think you've just got to try it, haven't you? Yeah. See if it works for your school, Julie and I. And I know you have all worked really hard at seeing how it will fit in any school. Um, and that's something that we're doing soon, isn't it, is looking mm-hmm. at how to make that work. But um, I think you've just got to try it and embrace it and go for it. And I think if you've got a whole school approach to it and somebody you know, really passionate, passionate about having a go, yeah. um, I don't think you've got anything to lose. No, you? no. Good, that's a good place to stop. Thank you for that. That wasn't as bad as you thought, was it? <laughs> Gosh. Thank you for listening to the TLGP podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to make sure you never miss a new episode. If the Steps to Summit project has interest you, you can visit www.steps2summit.co.uk. That's S-T-E-P-S, the number two, and then S-U-M-M-I-T, .co.uk. And you can see exactly what Steps to Summit can do to your school and how it can help children to improve their physical, mental and social health. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.